How's everybody doing? Good? Y'all are quiet. Right? Let me, let's try that again. How's everybody doing? Good? Awesome. I love it. Um, this is normally what uh, Cliff and Donnie use as a table, but because I'm so big, I'm going to use it as a stool. Is that cool? Right? No. Uh, so, my name's Ben Patat. I'm the creative arts and student pastor here at Freedom and. Every once in a while, they let me out of my cage and let me come and speak to you guys, and I am so excited. I'm honored. It's a privilege to get to speak to you guys. I'm excited about this morning. Um, I'm excited to be here speaking. I'm super excited because of the passage of Scripture that I get to speak on. We're continuing our our, uh, study of the book of Philippians, and this morning we're going to be looking at Philippians 2, 1 through 11, if you want to go ahead and start making your way there in whatever form of Bible that you have. Um, Philippians 2, 1 through 11 is probably my favorite. I'm not going to say probably. It is my favorite passage of Scripture, I think, in the entire Bible. Um, And so that's a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing because uh, it's my favorite passage. I love it. I love to study it. I love to read it. I love to just kind of live in it and think about it and apply it to my life. Uh, But it's a bad thing because I'm like, all right, you're speaking on your favorite passage of Scripture. You cannot mess this up, right? You should be a master of this passage. You should have this thing memorized. You should be living it perfectly. And honestly, I struggle with that sometimes. But um, I've literally been through three different versions of this sermon. Right, so at the beginning of the week, I was like, oh, I've got my sermon done. I'm like, no, nah, this isn't right. Uh, let, me do it. let me try that again. Let's go through another one. I wrote another one. I'm like, no, nah, that's not right. But now we've landed here. And don't think that that means that this is like third from the best sermon. I've landed here because I feel like what God is going to teach us this morning is special. Right? I think it's, it's, it's a direct lesson for where we need to be and for what we need to hear. And so... I feel confident about what God has to teach us this morning, and I can't wait to get to it. So, if you're there in Philippians 2, 1 through 11, we're just going to read our passage, the whole thing. Then I want to pray for us, and we're going to jump in and just dive in. Is that cool? All right, so let's read this together. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, it says this. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit... Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth the fact that that your word is living and active and working in us and speaking to us and the fact that the passage that we just read 
are your, is your words to us. The, the, the words that from the Father who created the world. You created the universe with your words, and you're speaking to us with that same voice, and you're speaking to us through this passage. And so I pray that, that you would speak through me, that you would speak to our hearts, and that you would show us the truth in this passage, show us what it is that we need to take from this and apply to our lives so that we could walk out of here changed and more like you and more in love with you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, just a little background on this passage, right? Uh, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, right? So they're Philippians, but the, the area is called Philippi. And so he's writing to this letter to the church at Philippi. And uh, the church at Philippi had uh, some unity issues, right? Uh, last Sunday, Donnie preached uh, the last few verses of chapter 1, right? If y'all are here, raise your hand. Right? Some people who weren't, if you weren't here, go listen to that podcast because he killed it. It was awesome. And so he was, he was uh, showing us that uh, Paul addresses some of these unity issues in the church, in the body of the church, in the group of brothers and sisters of believers that make up the church. Now, uh, in Philippi, there weren't people that were like trying to rip each other's heads off. Right? They weren't like uh, plotting revenge or like plotting people's destructions they weren't trying to rip each other's heads off but there was some bickering right we've never experienced that in churches right there was some bickering there were some people who maybe thought that uh and thought and acted like they were better than other people we've never seen that in church most definitely right people who were thinking and acting in a way that said hey i'm better than those people i'm not going to associate with those people because i'm better than them and overall Paul realized that, that everyone was, just wasn't doing a great job of moving in the same direction. He wasn't doing, there, weren't, there wasn't the unity there that, that would grip, like grip them together and bring them together to move forward to a joined goal, a, a joined vision, one singular vision, a unified vision and goal. And so Paul's urging them to come to the understanding uh, that believers, as believers, as the church we need to strive together and struggle together and stand firm together in our goal to advance the gospel. And so if you were here last week, uh, we kind of heard Donnie speaking on that. And so in what we see in the first couple verses of our passage today is that Paul is kind of continuing that theme, right? Paul is continuing to address this issue of disunity in the Philippian church. And he does it by specifically targeting individuals. Now, that's not, that doesn't mean he's calling people out and naming them individually, but he's going from, it's kind of like last week, Paul was addressing the church as a whole, right? We as individuals make up this body that's in this room now, and we call it church, right? A body of believers. And then he, it's like Paul, does, in the passage we looked at last week, Paul was addressing us as the church. And in the passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul is, a, is narrowing in and targeting in to individuals. This is what we should look like. This is what we need to work on individually so that in the larger scheme of things, when we back back out, when we zoom out, and we work together as the church, we would be unified under that one vision. Like Donnie said, uh, the vision, the mission of freedom, the mission of God to share the gospel with those who need to, know, to hear that and to be, experience the love of Jesus. So... Um, 
how many of you guys have have or have had a toddler in your house? Right? Most of us, maybe uh, you don't have kids, but you've babysat. Anybody, any babysitters in here? I know we've got a lot of babysitters with youth. Um, if you spend any amount of time around a toddler, in, around a, a, a younger child, right? Me and my wife just had our son uh, about six weeks ago is what I heard her say this morning. So that's the accurate, right? You have to get... It's kind of like, hey, how old is your kids? And you're like, um, let me think. She knows, and I'm going to I'm going to say what she says because that will keep me out of trouble. So, his name's Bear. He's not quite old enough to where like he's kind of bossing us around yet. But if you spend any time around children, you will pick up on two things, right? Number one, children are a gift from God, right? And they're just they're just such a gift. They're beautiful. It's just God has blessed us with this awesome child. They do the cutest things. We want to hold them. We want to love on them and cherish them. And then number two, they are sinful little gremlins that will do anything and everything to get their way. Right? So A, they're a gift from God. And, and B, they're little demons, right, sometimes. They will do anything to get their way. Uh, I mean, they will do, they will walk over. I've seen toddlers walk over to other toddlers and just push them down. Like, you know, not, nothing happened. That toddler wasn't talking smack to the other toddler. They might speak a different language, you know, all the gaga stuff. But so the toddler just walks over and pushes the other toddler down. And so um, that toddler sees that as an opportunity to start fake crying, right? And that toddler's like, ah, if I cry now, I might get a cookie. Right or or some or or the other hand the other situation is the toddler that gets pushed down begins this adventure this journey of cold-hearted revenge against toddler number one right like Liam Neeson style and taken like I'm going to find you and you will be pushed upon the ground as well right and so there's kind of just this this sinfulness this selfishness that we see even in little children. Right? It's in their nature. Parents don't come home from work and they're like, all right, I'm home from work. I need to spend a little bit of time teaching little Timmy how to be selfish. Right? I need to teach him how to do anything and everything that he can to get his way in life. It's natural. It's instinctual. The selfishness is a result of our sinful nature. And Paul understood that. And he understood that what he was seeing in, in the Philippian church in the believers at Philippi was selfishness. That they were thinking that, that I'm better than these other people. And I don't have to work with these other people to, to love God and to, to see his mission completed. And so Paul knew that he was seeing selfishness in them. And he understands that, that there is a lack of unity in the Philippian church because selfishness is our default mode. Right? Have you ever had, like, had to adjust settings on some electronic Thing, electronical, right? Uh, it's, it's hard to do. It's crazy. But sinful or selfishness is our default mindset. It's our instinct, right? Our instinct is to protect ourselves, protect our own interests. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the things that I want, right? You've never done that, right? We're, we're perfect. We don't, have, we don't struggle with that. No, I'm just kidding. So one of the many problems with this The fact that selfishness is our default mindset, the problem that that causes when we look at being unified as a church, when we look at working together as a team, 
And just know, if you're, if you're a guest here, and you keep hearing me say, church, unified as a church, what I mean by church is a body of believers. I mean us at Freedom Fellowship. But I mean in the larger scheme of things, the church in South Carolina, the entirety of the body of believers in South Carolina. But the problem that selfishness causes in the church and us being unified and working to share the gospel is that unity can't exist where selfishness is present. Unity can't exist where selfishness is present. We can't work together. We can't work hard to accomplish our goals in life or work hard to accomplish the goal as the church of advancing the gospel if every one of us is just slave to our selfishness, right? If every one of us is thinking and just looking out for themselves, unity can't exist where selfishness is present. Because guess what? I'm going to get bored, right? And I'm going to leave and I'm going to go home and watch Netflix instead. Right? And I'm going to get offended by what someone says or, or maybe even more so what they don't say. Hey, I just did something awesome and you didn't even appreciate me and like say, hey, Ben, you're awesome for doing that. Right? So-and-so is going to get offended by this. So-and-so is going to get offended that, by that because all we're thinking about is ourselves and how things affect us. So-and-so is going to get her feelings hurt because uh, so-and-so over here didn't comment on the fact that she just got a haircut and it looks awesome. Selfishness can't exist where you, where, or unity can't exist where selfishness is present. And the problem is that selfishness, which again is our instinct, it's the way that, that we're born with this sinful nature, it's kind of what we default to. The problem is that selfishness causes us to have a me first and others second attitude. Right? So I come first and everyone else falls behind. I do what I need to do, and if I have extra time, I might help someone else. I might think about how this affects someone else. And that will always get in the way of unity. And so Paul sees this issue in the Philippian church, and he offers the Philippian church, and and to us now, he offers us the solution to selfishness. So let's look again at verses 3 through 4. It says this, Do nothing, right? Emphasis on the word nothing. Right? Not some things, not uh, this special situation. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so I think we can sum that up in two words. And that it is humble yourself. Right? Humble yourself. Now, I'm a student pastor. With the students, that's kind of one of our mottos, but we say it a little differently. Any student in here know what I'm talking about? You can say it if you want. Humble yourself, exactly. Thank you, Dylan. We say it as that, humble yourself, with a little bit more sass, a little bit more attitude, right? As in, Craig, you might think that you're, uh, there's nobody named Craig. Craig, you might think that you're all that in a bag of Funyuns, but you're not, and you need to humble yourself. Right? It's one of our mottos. So we can sum up his instruction in one word, in two words, and that's humble yourself. In humility, when we humble ourselves and we live day to day in humility, we count others as more significant than ourselves. And that means by humbling ourselves and by practicing that humility, we turn that instinctual sinful desire 
of me first and others second into a selfless and humble attitude of others first and me second. We go against our sinful nature and our instinct that says, all right, I need to look out for myself. I need to advance my own interests. And we flip it on its head and we say, in humility, I'm going to put others first and I'm going to think about myself second. And in striving together and in standing firm together to accomplish goals, that's a game changer. Others first and me second. That is a game changer when it comes to us working as a team. Instead of worrying about myself, right, and and whether or not I'm comfortable, right, or whether or not I'm getting enough recognition or spotlight, or whether or not I this or I that, or I'm getting what I deserve, blah, 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 etc., etc., my mentality becomes, is everyone else being taken care of? Is everyone else comfortable? Am I doing a good job of recognizing and celebrating something awesome that someone else does? Is everyone else taken care of? In selfishness, we kind of focus in on ourselves. It's called selfishness. So we're just focused and we can only see the things that we want. We can only see the things that we do. And we have a very narrow mindset. I'm just kind of looking down at myself and how am I doing and how am I being taken care of and how are people looking at me? But in humility, we open up our eyes and we kind of see the bigger picture. Right? We look everywhere else first to see what needs to be done and how we can help do that. How can we accomplish that? So humility is the heart of unity. I truly believe that, that that if we want to be unified as a church, if at Freedom Fellowship we want to team together and work together and like we talked about, be partners with one another as we seek to advance this mission with at, at Freedom. It's our goal of helping people discover true freedom that only comes through Jesus Christ. Humility is the key. It's the heart of that. And it starts on an individual level. It starts in all of us. And it's hard. Right? How many people like to avoid doing hard things if you can help it, right? So like you're just like, exercise, nah, I'm good. You know, I, I like a little more cushion, you know, when I sit down, stuff like that. You know, we're, we're Baptists, that's kind of more common there. But, you know, I, lo- I know a lot of people like exercise. Doing things that are hard goes against our instincts. Right? And the fact that being humble goes against our instincts already, it makes it even harder. So being humble and practicing humility is a hard thing to do. It's against, it goes against our instincts. Those sinful and wrong instincts. instincts. But the instinct is loud, right? The instinct to ignore this and the instinct to revert back to our default mode is, is a very loud one and a very convincing one. Humbling ourselves and continuously practicing humility is a lot of hard work. But my dad told me from a very young age that uh, things worth doing are rarely easy. My dad's full of wisdom. He's got all those sayings. I love them. He wrote them down for me when I graduated high school, and I still have the book. I cherish it. It's awesome. So things worth doing are rarely easy. And uh, that makes me think about this situation. Earlier this year... uh, Anybody, ha- okay, here's, let's start here. New Year's resolutions, anybody follow through on those? <laughs> the, 
Earlier this year, I set a New Year's resolution, and it was so silly, but it was still hard. I wanted to learn how to solve a Rubik's Cube. Y'all have seen those, right? Y'all know what those are. Like, even the students, do y'all know what those are? It's those puzzles, there's a square, and there's like nine squares, and there's colors, and when you hold it and it's solved, it's all like, oh, that looks so great, and it's like perfect. And then you see one that's all like mixed up and mashed up, and colors are everywhere, and, and, and you're like, oh, I could probably figure that out. Right? So you pick it up, and you're like twisting it, changing it, turning it. And then after about two minutes, you set it back down, and you're like, this devil cube is impossible. Right? I'm never going to do it. So I, had, I wanted to set a goal for myself that I want to learn to solve a Rubik's Cube. Right? And so naturally, I picked it up, and in a couple minutes, I had mastered it without any help. Right? That's not what happened. Not at all what happened. I had to go and, like, I found, like, the official Rubik's Cube guide, right, on their website and everything. I got on the Internet and everything. So it's so hard to do. And so I found the guide, and I, 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 it took, you, took me step by step through how to solve this Rubik's Cube. And so I'm sitting there solving it, and I finally get it solved once, right? But, it, but I, didn't, I still didn't know what I had done. I just followed instructions, and so, but I continued to do it over and over again, and I would try and mix it, up, mix it up in different ways so that I could practice solving this Rubik's Cube. And over time, I started to remember and memorize the steps that I needed to take to do it. But guess what? I still got stuck sometimes, and I still made, uh, made mistakes that made me have to start from scratch. And I would, I would get somewhere, like, I can do this on my own now, and I'm doing it, and it's great and awesome, and then I get messed up, and I have to look back at the guide. Whenever we have to learn how to do something that's... My beard makes a noise if I scratch it. That's awesome. Uh, Whenever we have to learn how to do something that's difficult, it's crucial that we have those instructions. It's crucial that we have um, a guide to look to, an example to learn from and to be encouraged by when we mess up. Because in most things in life, in everything in life, we will mess up. Because, you know... We're not all that in a bag of Funyuns, like I said earlier. And we need to humble ourselves. So we are going to mess up. And so Paul shows us, Paul's urging us to humble ourselves. And he knows that that's going to be hard. And so he points us to the best example that we could ever have. Paul shows us that our ultimate example of humility is Jesus. Right? Our ultimate example of humility is Jesus. And so we see that in these next few verses. Uh, and I think that verses 5 through 8, actually 5 through 11, actually, I think that that's probably one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. Because it talks about Jesus, but it talks about why he came to die for us. And it talks about how he came to die for us. And, it, and Paul is pointing us to this passage to show us how we need to live our lives. To show us our example of how we need to live. So let's read that. Verses 5 through 8. No big deal. Just the most important passage of scripture in the whole Bible. Let's read it. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, be like Jesus. So be like Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant By being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
That's like saying by becoming obedient to the point of death, the worst death imaginable. And so what we see in this passage is our holy, righteous, sovereign God who created, who shaped, and who sustains the universe humbling Himself. Laying down the fact that He is God and the right that He has to be lifted up. The the God who is worthy of all honor and all praise. The one man who ever walked the earth who deserved to be recognized for His goodness. Who deserved to be lifted up. who, Who deserved to be made much of. And to be treated like a king. We see him setting aside his equality with God in humility. Jesus humbled himself by living for us and by living like us and even dying for us. Right? He lived like us because in in the way that he lived or lived for us in a way that he lived as a servant. Right? He met the needs of the people around him. He washed people's feet. He fed large crowds. He saw people who, who had diseases and who had never seen before in their life or hadn't walked in years, and he healed them. He met the needs of the people around him. He lived like us by being born in the likeness of man. He lived as a man. He walked this earth as a man. And Hebrews tells us that it wasn't like, okay, he's, he's in the form of a man, but he's still God, and you know he's all-powerful, and, and he is all-powerful, but he doesn't have to struggle the way we do. Hebrews tells us that he was... Tempted in every single way that we would ever be tempted. Right? Now, he might not be tempted to look at the wrong things on the internet like we are, or to be selfish uh, by buying a boat instead of putting away for our, coll- our kids' college. It might not, might not be in those situations, but he still struggled with lust. He struggled, or no, not struggled, but was tempted with lust and was tempted with greed. Hebrews tells us he was tempted in every single way that we would be tempted and was without sin. He never gave in to to temptation. He lived like us and was tempted like us so that we could relate to him and so that we could see and live by his example. And he became obedient to the will of God to the point of sacrificing his life for ours. Obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So that we could be set free from our sin and we could be made right in the eyes of the Father. Jesus didn't come to be served, but he could have. He didn't come to be served, he came to serve. He could have come to be worshipped as a king and worshipped as the God he was, but he didn't come to be loved, he came to love. He was and he is our perfect example of humility, and he perfectly displays that others first and me second mentality that we talked about that we need to have. Then in verse 9 through 11, Scripture says this, Therefore, which means because of all this, because of His humility, because of His obedience, because of what Jesus did, therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was exalted as a result of His humility, as a result of His obedience. 
and as a result of our humility, right, we'll be unified together as brothers and sisters in this room, as a Christian family that we are. We would be unified together and we'll strive forward in our goal to advance the gospel and share the gospel with the loss that we see every single day when we go to work or when we go to school. And we'll strive together to continue to see Christ exalted and to continue to see Him lifted up and to see Him praised and to see the lost saved and see the lost begin to live humbly by this example that He's given us. If we take this idea to heart, if we listen to what Paul is saying to the Philippian church, you need to be unified, and the way that individually you can do that is humbling yourself. If we take that to heart, if we begin to live by the example that Jesus gave us, and if we humble ourselves like Jesus did, if we consider ourselves or consider others more significant than ourselves, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Just think about what would happen. Think about the possibilities. Think about how that would change everything. We would see changes in our faith, right? And instead of having this kind of moralistic idea that I need to do this, I need to read my Bible, and I need to uh, do this and this to make God happy, we understand that that's not how it works, right? That Jesus has already paid the price for us, and we're humbled by that, and we're leaning on that, and so we just get to move forward, and we get to do those things out of our love for Him, not to make Him love us. It would change the way... uh, that we live our lives on a daily basis, serving, living as a servant like Jesus lived, serving the people around us and looking to their needs before ours. Think about what it would do in our marriages. I'm still kind of a young married guy, but, or, you know, in y'all's some perspectives, but think about what it would do in our marriages if the husband was putting the wife first and the wife was putting the husband first and you had this perfect um, example in that family's life, that the kids could look to and see, my dad puts my mom first and my mom puts my dad first. And they serve each other and they serve together our family. If you're single, think about what it would do in your relationships with friends. In the relationships that you have with people around you that you could start discipling. And you could pour out yourself in humility to them and, and you could walk with them and, and grow closer to God together. Think about what it would do in our church. And think about if the church unified together and acted humbly, what that would do in the upstate and in South Carolina and in the world. In everything, we should, we should, uh, in everything we would humbly seek the will of God and stand firm and strive towards His goals. So basically, we would be united together. We would accomplish our goals that we sought out to do, to advance the gospel to help people discover true freedom that only comes through Jesus Christ. Uh, Donnie talked about this a little bit last week, and I agree wholeheartedly. Paul saw a weakness in the Philippian church, but I don't see that same weakness here at Freedom. Right? We talked about unity last week, and, and, and Donnie said, you know, as a church, as Freedom, what we see, we see unity. Right? We see us joining together and moving towards our goals and working hard together. And I honestly don't see selfishness as reigning in our church, as holding us back. I see all of you guys serving selflessly, and that's awesome. 
as a pastor, as a staff member of this church, you know how comforting that is to see that? To know that, that I can seek humility in my life, and I know that for the most part, us as a church, individually, we're doing the same thing. We know our vision. We know our goals to help people discover the true freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. But we can never be too humble. Right? There's still points when I'm solving that Rubik's Cube where I realize I've messed up, and guess what? I've got to start all over. But with Jesus, we don't have to start all over. And we don't have to get down on our knees and beg for forgiveness. He's already given it to us. And we just need to lean on Him in humility and get back up and dust ourselves off and keep working, keep striving for the goal, keep practicing humility. We can never be too humble and we should never stop living and serving in humility. So remember, if you take nothing away from here, just remember those two words that Paul told us. Humble yourself. In my opinion, humility is one of the most important foundations in our faith because humility means that we clearly understand where we, where we stand without Jesus. It means that we understand that without Jesus, we're sinners and we're worthy to be punished. We deserve to be punished for the sinfulness that we have. But because of Jesus... Right? Because we understand that Jesus has saved us from all that by His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, we understand and we can't help but praise Him. Right? We can't help but be humbled by that. The fact that we deserve death and that's completely just and God sent Jesus to save us and to make us righteous and to fix the relationship that we had that was broken with God. That's humbling. We understand what Paul's talking about in the last part of that passage, that because of Jesus humbled himself and was, was obedient, that God exalted him, that every knee should bow. And we understand that now. We understand that better in humility, that every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You don't call somebody Lord if you're not humble. Because what that means is that you are below them and you are a servant to them. So for us to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Lord of my life. That's humbling in and of itself. I want to wrap us up. Kind of with a little, something that's a little different. Um, I just want to wrap us up in a quick time of response in prayer. Alright? So this isn't something that you're going to do and come talk to me or Donnie. This is, we're just going to point you guys directly at God. How about that? Does that sound good? So what I want you guys to do is just close your eyes, bow your head. Don't start your Sunday afternoon nap quite yet. So close your eyes, bow your head. I just want to kind of lead us through a time of prayer where we can get connected with God and start pursuing what it looks like to be humble. I want to lead us through a quick time of prayer where we ask the Holy Spirit to humble us and to show us the areas of our lives where we count ourselves more significant than others. The areas of our lives where we are selfish in our actions, where we aren't unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it might be a little quiet, and that's okay. I'm fine with awkwardness. Jesus often sought out the quiet spaces so he could spend time in prayer with God. And so we like quiet. It's okay.
So I'm going to give you some things to pray about, and then I'm going to close us in prayer. Just spend the 15, 20, 30 seconds praying for each of these things. Number one, first off, take a second in prayer to God and just thank God the Father for sending His Son, Jesus, to save us. And then number two, next up, I want you to pray and thank Jesus for His humility that made Him obedient to the Father to come and and die for us. It made Him obedient to the point of death. Thank Jesus for His humility and the fact that He came to save us. Next up, take a second. And I want us to specifically ask for the Holy Spirit to humble us. I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the areas in our life where we need humility. Ask the the Holy Spirit to show us, hey, this is an area where you need a little help. This is an area where you might need to work on this. We might need to really practically and deliberately focus on humility there. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you your weak areas where you need to be humble. And then just take a second to ask Him to humble you there. Ask Him to give you humility. It's impossible for us to do it on our own. We need the power and the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. So ask Him to humble you. And then lastly, take a second and pray for freedom. Specifically. And ask God to continue to keep us unified like He has and like we are. And keep us focused on His mission. And pray that God would help us accomplish that mission. For His glory and for for our good. Just take a second and pray for freedom. That God would humble us and help us in our mission. Father God, I just pray that in this place this morning that You would continue to work as we sing this last song holy is the lord god almighty that we would understand the reason that we're singing it the reason that we're saying those words and it's because you have exalted jesus because of his obedience you've exalted in him so that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is lord and he is worthy to be praised so let us sing those words boldly and truthfully and passionately. And I pray that the work that you have started in this place, the areas that you have shown us that we might need to focus a little bit more on those areas and being humble in those areas, I pray that you would continue that work. And like we looked at in the beginning of this letter, that you, we have faith that you will bring to completion the things that you've started in our lives that you would bring to completion the mission that you have given us here at Freedom to help people discover the true freedom that only comes from you, to help us reach out to the unchurched in Greer and Taylors and Blue Ridge and all around the upstate, that you would help help us show them your love, show them the sacrifice that Jesus made for them and for us, that we could see people saved and changed and transformed and become more like Jesus so that you would be glorified. 
I pray that, you, that what you have started in this place this morning, you would continue to bring to completion. And I pray that as we go, we would have a new passion for humility and a new passion for serving others. And maybe we can just start this week by serving others, by talking to them about Jesus, or by, by inviting them to church next week. So as we sing this closing song, and as we go out, just be with us, be in our hearts. Don't let this time on Sunday morning be the only time where we're focused on you. Focus us on you. Humble us and make us more and more like Jesus every single day. We love you so much, much, and it's in your son's name that we pray and we sing. Amen.